Hi, I'm James Van Osdell. This is Carcon Carne, recording on Clark Street in Andersonville. It is ridiculously nice out. It's 54 degrees in February. Nothing makes sense anymore, but what does make sense, Carcon Carne, brought to you by Suburban Roofing and Siding, which is a family-owned company serving the Chicagoland area. Now, I want to want to appeal directly to you, the Chicago or suburban Chicago-based homeowner. When was the last time you thought about your roof? A roof can add, a new roof, can add up to 7% to your property value and also has a huge impact on your energy bills. You can trust Suburban Roofing and Siding. It's a family-owned company that serves Cook, Lake, McHenry, Kane, and DuPage. They have more than 40 years of collective experience and they warrant their workmanship for a lifetime as long as you own the home. They have premium shingles backed with a full 20-year non-prorated transferable manufacturer warranty. Not to mention, it's a green product. Call my friends at Suburban Roofing, Roofing and Siding, 224-677-6149, 224-677-6149, or just visit them on the web, suburbanroofingandsiding.com. Carcon Carne also brought to you by a book. Yeah, it's nice out right now, but sooner than later, you're going to be stuck at home, maybe snowbound, coldbound, in search of something good to read. I would like to recommend this book written by Andy Fry, 90 Days in the 90s. Like I said, I'm sitting here on Clark Street. I'm in Andersonville. This book is all about Chicago, Chicago culture, Chicago lifestyle, specifically Chicago in the 90s. That's what the protagonist, the lead character, Darby, does. She goes back in time to Chicago in the 90s. Lots of great memories, lots of great things happening. The music scene was on fire. It still is, but it really, we all remember the Chicago 90s scene as being almost like Camelot. Check this book out if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of Chicago, if you're a fan of just having good things to read. 90 Days in the 90s, you can get a copy. You can get a copy signed at 90daysinthe90s.com or just buy a normal copy on Amazon.com. It's Carcon Carne. To my right, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, he is a guitar monster. He's a punk pioneer. He's a founding member of Richard Hell and the Voidoids. He's played with bands and artists we love like The Clash, Matthew Sweet, and Shriekback. He has a new album called Swing Your Lanterns, which is out on Pravda. He is Ivan Julian. Hello. Uh, so we're recording this right after you did an in-store at Rattleback here in yeah. Chicago. Yeah, which was fun. Which and was and this is this is taking it to another another place which I've never been to. I'm loving this. You know? Wait, that wasn't your first in store. No, this is my first in car interview oh, right, right. with like <laughs> with a um, ring light and everything. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'm sorry. I'm just. Uh, I, just kind I, of I know out it's. Of, you, you know, never you never forget I, your first. Car I'm out of my guess. element. I kind of I guess for, for finally. Dude, you're, you're a pioneer. You've done it all already. This, this should, I haven't nothing, done this. Should, nothing should phase you at this point <laughs> it, in your career. It doesn't career. phase me, but I've never done this, so it's, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's all. I'm, just, I'm enjoying it. So the first thing I want to ask you, when it comes to headlines relating to you over the past several years, so much of them have been about your health over the past. Yeah, several years. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm you, glad. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. Doctor says I'm great, you know, and, and I hopefully I can keep on, you know, like that. Um, 
But um, yeah, the whole thing was most definitely a scare and um, kind of um, gave me a new lease on life and helped me realize some things. I mean, as it's, it was a, it would, it would, it gave me a revelation, so to speak. You know, as it does for most people when you come that close to the edge. Yeah, but now I'm fine. How, how much of that informed the songwriting for the album? Well, some of the songs were already written. Um, what it did do, I mean, and some of the songs, yeah, I mean, it did affect, I mean, not just the, my current situation, but the current situation we all found ourselves in over the past two or three years or so, you know. And it gave me um, a sense of immediacy, of urgency, of having to make this record, having to get these songs finished and recorded as opposed to just having them sit on a shelf or something. Isolation was good for no one. Uh, it's good for writers. You know, I mean, it is. It is good for writers because, I mean, at that point, I mean, it may, be, it may not be good for your mental health, so to speak, maybe. But if you're a writer or you have something to create, you have absolutely no excuse not to finish it. You know, I mean, it just, it, there's just no excuse. It's like, okay, uh, you don't have time? What? You have all day. There's nothing. There's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do. You know, finish it. Yeah. One of the first songs you played in this insert, and I should mention, you're playing Space. If you're watching this before Wednesday in the Chicago suburban area, you're playing Space in Evanston on Wednesday night. So Exactly. One of the first songs I saw you play today was I Am Not a Drone, which is on the new album. Mm-hmm. The perspective, the songwriting perspective going into this, tell me, tell me where this came from, because it seems like it came from a couple different places. I Am Not a Drone, or yeah. just... Uh, I Am Not a Drone. Um, that was inspired, I was, it's kind of a dystopian view of the world i mean it was inspired by a lot of things i mean um what mainly inspired it was i was in the east village and it was a hot sweltering day i mean and i was on top of this tenement building looking down at the men's shelter and they were half closed and it was just hot and i mean they had nowhere to go and i just it got this view of the world that was kind of uh, beyond apocalyptic, this dystopian. And, and then that combined with a movie called Rollerball. A okay. classic. A classic, okay. And this is even on YouTube. There's a scene in Rollerball where the elitists are t- using flamethrowers and blowing up trees. So that kind of gave me this vision as well of like what we're going through with um, uh, the, the climate and everything. And just um, and I put all these thoughts together and, and wrote the song, I mean, from the perspective of someone who's just like, you know, observing all this going on. Sonically, this album goes to some interesting places. I, I hear almost a New Orleans vibe in places and a soulfulness and a, a, there's bluesiness. All yeah. This. And, and then there's that, that grit I think we'd come to expect from your music. Well, yeah, because I I grew up in an era where music was music, and I mean, and especially on a radio station, you would hear all different genres, so to speak, of music. I mean, all on one station, and you learn to appreciate all of them. And albums were made like that as well. And I like I like making albums all not of the same ilk. Mm-hmm. I mean, with songs not of the same ilk. I like it not to, just to be diverse because you can take it too far too. You know, where you go somewhere and it just sounds completely different than what you know the the rooms in, in the house are, are are telling you. And as an album is, I mean. It, it, it's just, yeah. So I, um, I, I, I like to just if a song fits on a record, I'm going to do it, and I, I don't know until the last moment. I mean, for instance, I mean we were just talking about I am not a drone alone. Keith was playing Shaker on that, and that's the what I was listening to the other day. I went, wow! Without that Shaker, it wouldn't be what it was. It's you know, you know, it's like so. Then that takes it to another place, which fits into the other, um, the the other songs as well, and helps the album flow from you know one story to another. The coolest groove on the album is on Wild, I think. There's a great groove on that song. Oh, Wild, yeah. 
Yeah, that's just, you know, I wanted a great, you know, just a telly sounding, you know, riff. I just came up with this riff. You know what inspired that? Um, okay, can I say this? Yeah. Way back in the day, um, okay, when Prince Charles was dating, was um, actually courting Camilla, Camilla, and it came out that they were having an affair and all that. And unfortunately, the poor guy, his love letters got out into the press. And unfortunately, they got out to the English press, which is never a good thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one of his quotes was, in the next life, I want to be your panties. And that just stuck with me. And I thought, wow, how much in love would you have to be, I mean, to even come up with a phrase like that? So I kind of revolved the song around things like that. In the next life, I want to be your panties. You played Love is Good today. <laughs> yeah. uh, great backup vocals on that one. Mm -hmm. And that lead guitar is ferocious on that song thank you I, I'm proud of that because whenever I take solos I try to, to make it <clears throat> unique to the song and not at all generic mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I kind of I, I can't say I struggled with that one but it it had to just meet this certain kind of swagger this certain off-tempo thing rather than just be like a blues solo and it just came to me which kind of think it really complements the song uh, Tell Me Lies another song you played on different from what I just saw on the album am I hearing a classical guitar on that or is that just straight up acoustic guitar a two acoustics um, you got a cool sound out of them I love getting cool sounds out of acoustic guitars in my studio I mean it's why I have you know so many great mics and, and acoustic guitars because nothing to me that it, I, I get that from actually the sound of, um, of Beggar's Banquet and um, Let It Bleed those albums the acoustic guitars on those albums sound amazing you know it's a Gibson with a really deep rich wood sound you know so I try to replicate that whenever I can and then also Al Matty plays the other acoustic guitar on that and Al Matty is another guy from Chicago See, my whole world is based in Chicago. Even though I don't live here, yeah. I mean, he, he, uh, he, he was in a band. What were they called? Band. Um, yeah. But I mean, did, did someone just pressed press up the vinyl of, of this album of uh, that he made way back in the '70s. You know, and I mean, it was a punk band from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but Al, Al plays with, has played with Joey Ramone. He's played with lots of people, and he's like amazing guitar player. So he's the other guitar player so on that. Again, the album is Swing Your Lanterns. It's on Pravda. The title track is a positive song, yes? It's more, uh, yeah, it's kind of a rally, a political rally, I mean, to kind of stand up for yourself and um, when things are kind of going awry, I mean, but it is positive. It's like, you know, believe, stand up. But, yeah. One of the many things I love about you, you're, you're a student, you're a fan of music. I love music. Just, you love music. Do you have a cool record collection? I do. I, I mean, you know, I, um, I do. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I've moved several times. Um, so I, I, some things I had to kind of, not several times, I mean, I had to move once, but and I realized I had like two walls full of records and I couldn't take them all. But, um, but yeah, I do. I do. I mean, anything in particular you're interested in? No, I just, I, I, music fans kind of like admire each other's collections. That, that's, how, that's how we communicate. Yeah. Yeah, I would never give up my vinyl collection. I mean, I, I, I never bought it when people said, oh, vinyl's gone and everything's going to go over to CDs. Because it, vinyl does sound different. And the whole inter thing of interacting, you know, with the um, with your entertainment and, like, you know, going over and putting the record on and keeping it pristine mm -hmm. and turning it over. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I have a fairly big in, in record collection. The other day I was listening to The Crystals, actually, which I hadn't heard, you know, in such a long time on, on vinyl. Um and, a, and a, another record called uh, John Lee Hooker's Greatest Hits from like 1940, 1951. 
Yeah, and it's all of his great songs are on there without any him being accompanied by a band or anything like that. It's just all, you know, the, him just playing guitar in his room, tapping his foot. It's like so amazing. And that voice. And that voice, yeah. Oh, my God. I met him once. I mean, it was, I, I, it was really um, almost intimidating. I never met, and I, he was in his 80s, and he was in a wheelchair and at the NAMM show when I met him. And I had him sign my record and my guitar and everything else I could find, you know, because I love him. And I've never met anyone with so much incredible sexual charisma if you know what i mean it's well, like all the, all the women in the room were just flocking to him you know and he just had this thing about him this kind of like i don't know weird power <laughs> it was kind of hard to explain well again I, I think all those archetypal blues men are like that one of my favorite thoughts along those lines there's that great footage of muddy waters playing the checkerboard lounge in chicago mm -hmm. When the Rolling Stones came up on stage, I think I, I've seen that. I've a seen great that. moment. Yeah. Any other night, any other year, the Rolling Stones are going to be the coolest people in the room. When Muddy was on stage, Mick Jagger looked silly because Muddy just is all charisma without even moving. I saw that. I saw that and realized that too. I thought, yeah, this is really strange because you're right. I mean, and you know, they're they're at the height of their career. They're all beautiful and beautifully dressed and everything. Mm -hmm. But like, Muddy's just there, like you know. You know, so, to taking up everything. He's just, he's just like, got it. You and know? isn't that the definition of cool? Not trying to be cool. Yeah, I think. I, I think. I mean, I think. It, it may, I don't really know what cool is, but I know like anybody that's trying isn't. <laughs> you know, I know that much. So again, space on Wednesday. If you're watching this, we're recording this. I don't even know the date. Time is time is a concept. Uh, it's the Sunday before you're playing space in Evanston. If you're watching or listening before, then go see this man. The Voidoids were the first band to play CBGB. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. No, that's impossible. No, 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 we were not. I mean, Hilly, the deal was, okay, Hilly op slowly opened the band, I mean, the club up to artists, were actually poets that wanted to do their poetry and then have musicians play behind them. That's how the whole thing started. But um, there were musicians playing there long before the Voidoids I mean, started, even though we were there at pretty much at the seminal moments because there was a very small stage when we played there our first gig and um, there was a pool table off to the side. Because uh, most of the bands then wanted to play Max's Kansas City because it was a proper rock venue. Mm -hmm. And Richard wanted no part of that. You know, Richard wanted to play, you know, um, this place where um, Hilly, the owner, would let him play. Him and Patty Smith as well. You know, it was like, it was, it was, um, yeah, more bohemian, for lack of better words, you know, than the other clubs. So that's where that that's where we started playing. But now I don't know if we were the first. I'm, I'm pretty sure we weren't. I mean, because I because I saw bands there before we played there, so I know we weren't. You know, could you have known? Did you know back then? Could you feel what was going on? Yes. Really? You could feel that that moment was happening? I mean, maybe not for our bands per se, but as a scene, yes. Because, I mean, if you read about New York scenes and even Chicago scenes, you know, the blues scene here that happens where all, all, these, excuse me, all these people come from, you know, all parts of America and all parts of the South to Chicago to, you know, to play and, and end up, you know, making this historical music um, at this one point in time. And the same thing happened there. People came from all over the country to, you know, to um, play their original music because they couldn't play it anywhere else. I mean, no other clubs in America would let you play your own songs or anything, or mm -hmm. you know. So that I mean, and we all gravitated there. Not the, and I even had a shirt back then called "Animals." It was a bad 
you know, um, teenage poetry, but animals thrown together by fate. Because I just thought, like, I looked at the room and I thought, like, you know, all these people have come here from everywhere. Ohio, Chicago, you know, um, Missouri, Kentucky. You know, I would even come from Europe. I mean, not that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not from there, but I'd heard about this place and I just dropped what I was doing and came from Europe to, to kind of find, excuse me, to find a band there. Was it a competitive scene? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think there was a lot more, you know, kind of, you know, uh, male swagger going on than there was actual artistic competitiveness, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, because, I mean, we all went and saw each other play on nights we, we didn't play. That was the beauty of the whole place is that you could go on a Tuesday night and see the Talking Heads. You could go on a Thursday and see the Ramones. And most of us would go to see each other play to see what we were up to, you know, to kind of kind of exchange ideas and stuff like that. So it wasn't so much competitive, you know, except for, like I said, you know, if someone wanted to have the same girlfriend or boyfriend or something, yeah. See, and... You are a lifeline to a point in time that a lot of us never got to experience, myself included. When I think about that New York scene, what was fascinating, or what is fascinating to me, fascinating to me, is how different everybody sounded. Patti Smith sounded different from Talking Heads, sounded different from Television, sounded different from Ramones, sounded different from Richard Held and the Voidoids. Like everyone kind of had their their it. Yeah. I mean, and that was the other beauty of it as well. I mean, is that, I mean, there was no one style of music. So you never knew what you were going to get. And with, and that's why when people try to put this umbrella over, you know, the punk rock scene, it's, it's impossible. I mean, because it was just people that were trying to play their original music. I mean, musically, what does Blondie have in, you know, in, in common with um, uh, television? You know, I mean, nothing. Good, good players. That's it. Yeah, nothing. You know, but I mean, but musically, it's a completely different. But then again, everybody was pulled together at the scene to in order to play. So, you as a solo artist, the new album is fantastic. Swing your lanterns again on Pravda. Uh, as mentioned, nice diversity of sounds and approaches. It's just a cool sounding album. Uh, great band, great songwriting. We can see you at Space, and if you miss. Ivan Julian at Space. Just listen to the album. It's awesome. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much, and I'm I'm enjoying your setup here. This is this is this is one of the more elaborate studios I've seen in, in my life. That's that's <laughs> saying something coming from you. Thanks. <laughs>